Hi, welcome to Sustain Talks. Today I'm joined by Luke Tversky. Luke is an ultra athlete, an endurance adventurer. He did a 2000 kilometer triathlon from Morocco to Monaco. He was a professional footballer. Luke is a mindset coach, a mental health advocate, a writer, documentary maker, and thought leader. And I am delighted to be here with you today, Luke. Welcome. Good to see you. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks, Sam. And that's a lovely intro. And I definitely want to know that guy. He sounds like he gets up to some cool stuff. <laughs> he has been. Tell us more about what he's been up to. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a. Uh, I definitely feel like I'm getting my money's worth in life. And I think we all should try and, um, you know, strive for some version of that. And, um, you know, the, the pandemic was, was tough on everyone and, and I, I'm no different. Uh, I was not able to travel. I wasn't able to do any big challenges or adventures that I, that I love to do, that I have been doing. And also one of the big things that I do is I, I love having a microphone in front of me, you know, even though I can do it at my own house, it's not quite the same as standing on stage and, and sharing with people my story from you know being a broken down, injured professional footballer to running away from life to having a, a loss of identity and to really having a dark battle with depression, which led on to binge eating and um insomnia and twice I stood on tops of bridges not wanting to live anymore and and that is one of the things that I I love doing and it's not just because I I like the sound of my own voice um, but it's also I feel I have an opportunity to make a real difference in people's lives from sharing my story because I'm not naive to the fact that you know, I'm a white guy who's had a very privileged life to be able to travel around the world and kick a ball around as a profession. I didn't really make any money from football, but I didn't have another job for about seven years. And then start going to travel again around the world doing these big ultra endurance challenges. So I'm not naive to the fact that I have lived quite a privileged life. I am a man and the mental health battles that I have been through is something where I feel like I can make a real difference to the lives, not only in males, but also to um, the partners of men to see, you know, signs of maybe things that I was going through, how I was withdrawn and how I would speak and share it with them. So maybe they could try and catch someone who is struggling with their mental health before it gets, you know, before it gets too bad for lack of a better word. So I'm starting to get back on stages and share my story and, and doing corporate talks and keynote talks and hosting events and, and being part of the, the mental health uh, conversation um, like I love doing and, and being really open and vulnerable with my story. And yeah, so that's, that's what I've been up to these days and still training and still living life and still writing and smiling on a daily basis. Yeah, I think it's so important to have the conversation. Uh, you know, I've recently lost a friend to suicide, uh, which I've spoken about a lot. And 
the more that I have the conversation with people and the more I look into their stories. I think if we can get people talking and, you know, in some areas it still is a little bit of a taboo, but can we go back a bit to um, really sort of look through your journey and, um, you know, from, from obviously back from the professional football into your journey into being an endurance athlete? Yeah, so... The one thing I always like to point out to people and, and highlight is probably the best word is, you know, I'm 39 now. I have, have a very close relationship with my parents who live on the other side of the world in Australia and I'm in, I'm in London. That's where I grew up in, in Australia. And the thing I like to highlight is with hindsight and with time, I've realized that I grew up in probably the most near perfect um, family environment anyone could probably grow up in you know we we didn't have a lot of money but we had enough money that we didn't go without the bare essentials but I had the most loving parents I still have the most loving parents but growing up I had the most loving parents I had an older sister who adored me and I adored her we grew up in a small country town where it was safe to sort of my mum and dad to say you can go out and do whatever you want during the day but if you're not home by six o'clock, you're in trouble. So we knew we could do whatever we wanted, but there was always someone watching because it was a small country town and it was safe to do that. It was a sport mad town and I loved sport and I had friends, so many friends that were literally, you know, two doors down the road or a five minute bike ride. I had aunts and uncles and cousins who lived in the same town and we would get together every weekend. So when I share my story, I like to highlight that because not all, but there are times when people who have struggled with their mental health uh, as years go by, you know, we, we go back to sort of that thing of like childhood trauma, which is an element of how people have, you know, maybe not dealt with that to have issues later on in life. But for me, it was, you know, near perfect. And I left my family home at 16 um, by choice <laughs> to play football three and a half hours away from where I lived. I finished my high school living with a random family who I met the day I basically moved in with them and went to a different high school for the final two years of high school and did all of that and left home, left Australia at 21 to pursue my, my professional dream and went to America for about four years. And while I was playing, I also did an exercise science degree because I just loved human performance from a physical and a mental perspective. And I was you know, almost, I look back now and think if my nephew in a couple of years time when he's 14 was asking for like sports nutrition books and sports psychology books, as I was doing when I was 14, because I wanted to understand how the body and the mind could perform better. I think it's kind of weird. And um, so that's what I was doing. I was really intrigued with the human body. So school was a uh, social, social time for me, except for PE. Both, both the physical side and also the, the in, inside the classroom. I just love learning about the body. So I, I got a degree in exercise science. And while I was playing football, I also coached people on the side from a physical performance perspective, whether it was strength and conditioning, whether it was to lose weight, whether it was to run faster or have more agility and things like this. And I've been doing that since I was 18. I'm 39 now. So it's been a couple of decades where I've literally done one-to-one coaching. And then I came to, I went to Belgium 
and played in Belgium for a year, le- learned to speak French. I've forgotten most of it now, but uh, it was, it really exposed me to another culture and another way of life. And that opened my eyes up after being all over America as well. So as I mentioned before, I'm a very privileged, I feel like I've lived a very privileged life because I've seen a lot. I've not just traveled, I've also lived in all these different places. And and then I came to the UK in 2008 to continue my footballing career. And then injuries, physical injuries started to happen. I started to, to break down. And, and that was the first time I really felt any sort of depressed feelings in my life. I'd been sad before, but I'd never sort of felt this, this depression. And it was really odd to me because I'm a very happy person and I'm a very happy go lucky person. And I'm always, you know, love, love being the center of attention and, and I love just chatting to people. And then I started to withdraw from society when I had all these injuries. And, and that was when I, I guess I had my first taste of, of struggling with my mental health. Yeah. Can we um, just dig a little bit deeper into what that looks like? Because I think the other thing is a lot of people that maybe don't struggle or haven't struggled, they don't understand, you know, the amount of times I've been feeling depressed and somebody said to me, hey, come on, chin up. And you're like, you know, what does that look like for you when when you when you first experienced it? Yeah, I want to point out something and this is just my own personal uh, opinion I guess of it is life is not easy life is hard and we all have a human experience in life right the 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 human life experience and there are going to be times when it's really hard and that is just a, a human experience and there are times when it's going to be great and that's just part of your human experience so I do, and this is, as I said, this is just my opinion, and this is slightly dividing, but I also think it's, it's relevant that there are some times when people are feeling depressed or feeling down, and that is just because they're having, they're in the bottom of that human experience, right? Because it's, it's not all, all supposed to be like really happy all the time. There are going to be times when you're having a human experience that it is tough, it is hard, it is difficult, and you do have these feelings. For me, when I started to realize, well, in hindsight, I realized that I was truly depressed. It wasn't just, oh, I felt depressed because I'm injured. It was then I was starting to take action in my life that was changing how I functioned, not just how I felt. And for me, that's a distinction of if I feel depressed because, you know, I didn't have a contract and I wasn't able to play that's like football for me, that's having a human experience. Like it's not all supposed to go your way or it's not, it doesn't always go your way because life isn't fair reality. Mm. But when it started to change my actions, I realized, wow, this is not good. And what I mean by that was I started to withdraw from society. Friends would say, Hey, Luke, do you want to come and have dinner tonight? Oh no, sorry. I've already got plans. Complete lie. Hey, Luke, do you want to catch up and have a coffee on the weekend? Oh, sorry. I just, I'm going to go and see so-and-so, but maybe some other time. And it got to a point where I was living in a, in a, in a house share with a couple of friends and I would get up in the morning and 
yell out to them, oh, see you later, guys. I'm, I'm heading out now for the day. And they'll be like, yeah, no worries. See you tonight when we get home from work. And I'd close the front door or open the front door, close it, and then sneak back into my bedroom and stay there the whole day and not leave the house and lie about what I was doing. And then I'd see them that night and they'd be like, oh, how was your day? Yeah, good. I went here and I did this and I did that. But in reality, I laid in bed all day and just felt depressed. So for me, what it looked like, and, and I think we also have to highlight, this is a very personal thing to do the individual. And, and we like to put labels on it and we like to put it in an umbrella so we don't feel like we're an outcast. But mental health and, and, and how you struggle with that is a very unique thing to you. And for me, that's the first thing that I realized, hey, like, because I've been injured before. And I'd been down and I'd be depressed, but I wouldn't have never said I battled with depression or I had depression, but it was only when my actions started to alter in life that I thought, wow, like there's something else going on here. Um, it's interesting to hear that. And I, you know, I think that showing people that there's a way to recognize because sometimes people might not realize that they're going into a depression until it's too late and they're in it and do you think that at that time thinking back beforehand would there have been anything that you could have done differently that would have stopped you or the people around you could the people around you had have um, noticed anything or done differently that could have like got to a certain point where they where you're like okay let's do this 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 and this and that's going to sort of take you in a different direction great question i honestly think i couldn't have and no one could have done anything and i say this because you know this was at this point 2010 you know 2009 2010 i'm a 26 27 year old guy in the world of football and Amy had been in London in the UK for 18 months, hadn't really forged any real deep relationships. No one was speaking about mental health in football back then. No, and the conversations we're having now, no one was really having them back then. You think 2010, 2009, you think five years ago, a lot of people weren't having these conversations, you know? So I didn't have the internal strength to put my hand up and ask for help. I didn't have that internal strength to reach out to friends or family or even on the phone to, to my mom and my dad or, or my sister lived in the UK two hours away. I, I didn't like, I saw her and I told her I was good. I was great. I didn't have the internal strength to speak up about what I was going through at, you know, at 27 years of age, being in this very macho driven world of, I wasn't playing in the premiership. I was nowhere near playing in the, in the premiership football in the lower leagues where you know, there was no talk about mental health. So I don't think anyone could have said anything. And even if I did had a friend who let's say was a professional in mental health, whether it was a psych psychologist, psychiatrist, counselor, whatever, someone who is a professional that works with people who struggle with their mental health. Even if I became friends with someone like that, which I didn't, but if I did, and they reached out and said, hey, like, 
how are you doing? I can see that you, you've had this shift. Is everything okay? I would have lied to my teeth to them, said, yeah, I'm totally fine. Because I didn't feel like I had the, and I say, I use this term on, on purpose, the internal strength to speak up about my struggles. Had it been now, do you think, because we openly have these conversations so much more and so many more people are affected and you know I think even the last two years what we've all been through we're like we're life is hard for everyone it doesn't matter who you are um do you think that if it had been now you'd have maybe spoke to those that you are close to maybe and I say maybe because I would have recognized what I was going through from a um, acknowledging that, hey, I was pulling myself away from society. I was lying to those close to me. I didn't want to you know, spend time with anyone because I just want to be by myself. And because of all these conversations are happening now, and there's so many different things like mental health first aid courses and, and so many more podcasts now that are just talk, having these conversations, you know, social media, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. We all, we all know that. And, but the one side of it is there are a lot of people who are talking about mental health and talking about their struggles. So I probably would have been laying in bed, scrolling through my phone and saw these people talking about going through the same stuff that I was going through. And I'm not going to say, yeah, like I definitely would have spoken up to my friends and family, but I think what it would have done is it would have made me realize, Hey, like, I'm going through the same stuff that these people are going through. Wow. I'm actually de properly depressed. I'm really struggling with depression here because it is changing how I act in my daily life. Then for me personally, I think it would have been a case of, okay, am I, am I willing to start talking about that? Because obviously, you know, as a 27 year old, 26, 27 year old guy, I felt shame. I felt weak. I was confused. You know, as I said, like my, my background and my history is very privileged existence, you know, mm. um, being able to do what I've done. So why should I be depressed? You know, so that was all the things that was going through my head at the time. And I think if it was now, and I was struggling with that with the, at the same age back then, I think it just would have highlighted what it was that I was actually going through and hopefully made a bit more sense to me and give me a chance to speak up about what I was going through with someone who was close to me or the other side is, you know, cause sometimes we don't want to speak to those who are closest to us because we do feel that shame and we do feel like there could be judgment, even though if you talk to someone who truly loves you, there will be zero judgment. So the other thing is, talking to someone who has no idea who you are, a counselor, a professional, you know, psychologist, whatever it is. And that's how I started my journey of getting help because I didn't want to talk to people who knew me. So I went to a complete stranger and that's, that's okay. But speaking up, I think is the key to taking that first step. Yeah. I, when I, um, so I put out um, a post on LinkedIn about what happened to my friend and I had thousands of messages from people that I didn't know that were reaching out to me that were you know opening up and sharing their their deepest darkest secrets and first of all I felt honored that they they'd share that with me um but like 
you know, and I was trying to guide them into the right places uh, to, to give them the help. But for you, um, you know, you were in that, that very, very dark place. And it's what, um, 15 years later now? Mm. Um, what, um, so that you've, you've been on a journey since then. What was that point of when you were like, um, what, what happened? Were you like, no, I've just had enough of this. I need to do something. What, how, how did you get out of it? Well, it got a hell of a lot worse before it got better. It wasn't a case of like, yeah, I was in this hole for three months and then I finally built up the courage to speak up to a stranger, a counsellor, a psychologist about what I was going through. I battled with this for a, about three, two and a half, three years um, because I was battling with injury and I was in a relationship that lasted seven years it probably should have lasted seven weeks um we just weren't the right fit and i lent on that because i was going through this this tough time and it was almost like well that's a constant there like i didn't reveal anything to her as i was going through it and i even put off living together you know we we're together for several years she was a bit older than me wanted to settle down and do all that sort of stuff and i came up with every excuse under the sun not to live together we, we ended up actually living around the corner from one another because she's like i just you know this is this dumb uh literally about 400 meters away from one another so that's a whole nother story but i was literally putting that off because i wanted my own space so i could hide under the duvet all day so i was going through all of this and then my body kept breaking down i had three surgeries in 11 months at one time, all different parts of the body, all from training with football. And then I got to a point where I was unable to continue to play. Um, and my family and friends and everyone was saying, look, your body's telling you that it's time to stop. And I was 27 at this time. And I thought I'm going to be retired for a very long time. I want to make sure that I'm ready because I don't want to have any regrets. And I soldiered on for another 12 months having this dark cloud overhanging battling with you know injury rest recover train get to a club get turned down get to a club get injured again that whole process so you know talk about hitting yourself on the hand with a hammer and then yeah. letting it heal and doing it again this is what was going on until finally i in 2011 i decided enough was enough i'm going to retire and I had a great weight lifted off my shoulders. But at the same time, it was a case of, well, now what? My whole identity had been Luke is a soccer player. Luke is a footballer. Ask Luke at age four, what does he want to be when he grows up? A soccer player. Arch Luke at age 14. Arch Luke at whatever age. He's a soccer player. That's it. Then Luke retires from soccer. Now what is Luke? Who is Luke? No idea. So in a knee-jerk reaction, on quite literally the same day I retired, I'm laying on my bedroom floor with my leg up, icing a torn calf muscle, laptop on my chest, Googling like a race that a friend of mine had told me about who is a marathon runner that's you know, running the equivalent of six marathons in seven days through the middle of the Sahara Desert, carrying all of your food in your backpack. 
you know, he told me about this race. I thought it was like made up. And I need to point out, I'd never ran more than 10 kilometers in my life. So never a half marathon, never a marathon. That was it. A footballer. We don't run anymore. I think we ran 10 kilometers one preseason. That was it. So I'm icing my calf. I'm doing this. And my mind's going, now what? Now what? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I found this race. I called them up. I paid my deposit. And in six months, I was going to run in the world's, or what Discovery Channel deemed the world's toughest foot race, the Marathon de Sabs where you run the equivalent of six marathons in seven days through the middle of the Sahara desert. And for me, yeah, yeah, exactly. For me, it was an escape from life. I was confused. I had this loss of identity and I had no idea what I was going to do. And I thought, well, if I go and do this race, it's in six months, that gives me six months to train. That also gives me a six month buffer where people will, won't ask me now, what are you going to do? Because I have an answer. I'm going to do this race. I need to prepare for this. And they won't ask me about anything else. It's a, it's a massive distraction. And that's what I did for the next six months. I turned myself into a, an ultra runner. Do you think that you, by doing that, it gave you purpose and, you know, and focus? Or do you think it gave you an excuse it gave me an excuse to not talk about what I was going through. Yeah. <laughs> and it also, um, uh, it also shown a very bright light into everyone else around me that said, well, yeah, like he's doing that. Like he must be okay because look, he's training really hard and he's, he's preparing for this race and you know, all of the, all of these things that you've got to do going from zero to that race that yeah like no one else was asked no one else was concerned about well now you've retired from football are you okay yeah there was people that think oh this is just a knee-jerk reaction after he does this then you know he's gonna have to sort of stop and, and assess things but for me it's like cool okay that's in six months time this is fantastic so it was a massive excuse it was a massive um uh you know distraction from what i was actually going through and what was it, what was the race actually like? I mean, I, I, I walked like two kilometres this morning in the forest and, you know, uh, like that's, that's insane. That's a whole nother podcast that we can go through in details. But there is a, there is a YouTube video called It's Not a Race, It's a War. Uh, it's got about 40,000 views. Don't watch it while you're having breakfast. Um, I'll say that. But in short, I went out there with a knee injury because I trained too much leading up to it. Obviously, I only had six months to train for it. And I got very bad blisters is an understatement. Yeah. I, I degloved some of my toes. So, you know, literally like the skin, just like a glove, just pulled off. Yeah. I had infected toes on day three. So I was on penicillin on day three. I had an intravenous strip on day four with still 40 miles to run because I was severely dehydrated. And I had minor surgery out there in the desert on my toes after I did finish the race, as well as surgery on my toes to cut out all the infected skin um, once I got back to the UK. So I finished. I definitely got my money's worth in that race. And it was an absolutely brutal experience. But beautiful at the same time yeah i felt like that after doing tough mudder <laughs> yeah, exactly same thing 
nowhere near the same thing, but maybe for me it was. But um, so after that, was that like, okay, I've done it. That's great. I can get on with my life now and I feel good. Or So leading up to this, I'm thinking, well, what am, what am I going to do with my life? You know, like I'm 20, 28 at the time. And, you know, as I said, it's not like I played premiership football and made millions. I still had to work. And I was doing some coaching on the side, coaching some people to help them run, you know, 5K, 10Ks and helping them to, I was working with other athletes, helping them be fast and their speed and agility, strength training, all this sort of stuff. So that's what I was doing on the side. And, and I thought, I, saw, I read a couple of books about adventurers and people doing these big challenges and, you know, writing books about them and have, writing magazine articles and having documentaries made and speaking on stages and all this sort of stuff. I got introduced to this whole new world. And I thought, well, why can't I do that? So I tagged myself an endurance adventurer and my business plan, for a lack of a better phrase, was to spend any money that I made and try and pitch to different magazine articles and brands of, of running kit and, and, and different kit like that to basically pay for these big, ludicrous, crazy challenges that I came up with in my head. And my life was going to be traveling around the world doing epic, insane challenges and then coming back and speaking about them on stages writing magazine articles about them, having books published, documentaries made. This was my plan. So leading up to going out to the Sahara Desert, I was telling everyone, I'm an endurance adventurer. This is what I'm doing for a living now. So this extended that period of, no, 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 I'm serious about this. I'm focused on this is going to be my livelihood. This is going to be my business. This is what I'm going to do for, for my rest of my life. And people wouldn't then ask me, well, now what are you going to do that you retired from, from football? Because this is what I'm doing. I'm going all in. I'm working hard. I'm, and then I came back and I had some magazine articles written about me when I did the Marathon de Subs and I made my own little um, home films documentary. And, you know, I got a few few views on, on YouTube and I was like, yeah, like this is this is happening, you know. And everyone was sort of like rolling their eyes going, yeah, yeah, Luke. And then slowly but surely, I started to do more big challenges and getting some more traction and started to speak on stage and started to share my journey and then started to like, I didn't make any huge amounts of money, but then I was actually starting to be able to support myself by doing these things alongside my coaching as well. So people stopped sort of really diving into now, what are you going to do? Because I'd completely distracted them with me doing all these insane challenges and fast forward to 2015 i had completed you know, challenges all over the world from china to nepal to new zealand to all over all over europe to all over the uk everywhere like some amazing amazing challenges had documentaries made about them spoken on stages all over the world at this stage it was like really cool and then 2015 was going to be my big epic challenge that was really going to elevate me to the next level. And it was my 2000 kilometer in 12 day swim, cycle and run from Morocco to Monaco, something that no one had ever done. The format was so crazy that like literally everyone said, this is just stupid. You're not going to do it. Had a convinced a guy to come out and make a full feature documentary about it. And in 2015 in the summer, 
and the event was in the September, October, I hit a new low in my mental health where I, I was literally in my back garden in a fetal position crying because I just was so unhappy and I was just like, I don't know what to do. I've got this big challenge in a couple of months. How am I going to do this? And I, I just in this really, really dark hole. And that was the first time where I thought to myself, I need to get some help. And I mean, like, that's hard, I think, because especially if you've been on a journey up and down with depression and you've found something and then like actually admitting it and, and realising that's, that's, that's really hard. And then doing something about it is even harder. Hundred percent. And I want to I want to go back a little bit as well because I I did skip over something. Um, I, w- I was just in full flow thinking about uh, you when I first got help. But during two thousand and thirteen and two thousand and fourteen, when I'm doing these big challenges, right, where I'm you know running down Mount Everest, living high up in the rural mountains of Nepal, you know, running through a tropical forest in China, doing double Ironman distance triathlon in Wales, taking me 35 nonstop hours, swimming marathons, like 10 kilometers at a time, all these things, running hundred miles, hundred kilometers up and down mountains, doing all these things, right? Sounds like this guy, he's living an amazing life. He's going around the world doing this, having magazine articles written about him, going to do corporate talks about adventuring and building resilience and how to overcome adversity using, you know, sports psychology, performance psychology tools that, that I use in my big challenges in the office to, to work with the corporate athlete. These are all things that I was doing. And my life looked like it was awesome. It was amazing. And Luke has done it. He's this endurance adventurer. You know, he's, he's doing it. This period of my life was the darkest period I've ever been through with my mental health. While I was doing all this, all this stuff, my depression was at an all-time low for, for then. I was binge eating at night because I battled with insomnia. At some times, I was sleeping six to eight hours a week when it was at its worst. Some nights I didn't even go to bed and it got to two in the morning. I thought, well, I'm going to go and run a marathon. You know, I'd get up and go and run for four hours, come back. And my flatmates were like, oh, did you just go for a run early today? Yeah. 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 Just did an easy 10K. You know, little did they know I'd been out for four hours. So I was using endurance sports, swimming, cycling, running and working out in the gym as a to fuel an addiction of self-harm through endurance sports like now some people that might not make any sense but to a lot of endurance athletes and a lot of people who have been through this they do use that as a way of self-harm you know you can't no one can tell me that getting up at two not not even getting up going to going outside and putting your running shoes on at two o'clock in the morning because you can't sleep because you've got insomnia and you're wide awake and then running for four or five hours to start your day is healthy. And then later that night, you're eating, you know, a tin of biscuits and a tub of ice cream because you know, you can't go and run again because your body's just brutalized. So the only way to get that high was to binge eat. So I would binge eat. And then the next day I was like, well, I've just ate all this food during the night. So I'm going to go for a run again. or I'm going to go for a five hour bike ride to burn off all the calories and then not eat for two days 
because I've ate two days worth of calories in that binge session I had the day before. This is what my life looked like for 18 months. And it got to a point where I was like, I can't deal with this pain anymore because I was in this pain. And twice I went and stood on tops of bridges thinking, I don't want to do this anymore. It was like three o'clock in the morning. Just like, I, I just can't deal with this pain anymore. And I'm very fortunate that I was able to talk myself down those two times. And then that was the lead up into 2015 before I found myself in the fetal position, crawled up in my back garden. Um, hard question, but oh, two, two questions, really. One, um, why you might not even be able to answer, but why did you put yourself through that pain and what was going on that was like, you know, people, for me, for my friend, like looking on the outside, you look at her Instagram, you look at her Facebook, she had the best life, she was having the best time. I spoke to her every single day and she was telling me how how depressed and how difficult and, you know, but how, why, why, you know, you had all these things from the outside, but what was going on in the inside? Like, can you answer why? At the time, I was still confused of why, why this was happening, why I had these thoughts, which is why I give you know, context to my upbringing. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I still had that loss of identity and I was still trying to create this identity. And at the same time as we, in hindsight, and we'll probably get onto this very shortly, but in hindsight, something that I only realized at the end of 2016, 2017, and I retired from football in 2011, I hadn't grieved the loss of football in my life. Yeah. Now, some people might think that's a bit silly because it's just a game, mm -hmm. but it was my life. And that's all I ever wanted to do from a four-year-old kid. Like, it was like, this is it. Like, I didn't want to be an astronaut. I didn't want to be a fireman. I wanted to be a footballer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, football was not big in my small little country town in Australia. Football was not big in Australia in the 90s at all. And, but that was it. That's all I ever wanted to do. And I left my family home at 16. I left my you know, country where I grew up at 21 to pursue this dream. And I wasn't a, a global star. I wasn't a star. I didn't play for my country or anything like that. So it wasn't like destined for greatness. I had to work my backside off just to give myself a chance. So retiring from football and saying, I'm not playing this this, this game anymore that I love because I was already struggling with my mental health with depression at that time I was just like I can't deal with that that's too hard so I'm going to throw myself into something else so it was a big distraction of, of making myself stop and feel that pain that I was going through and I don't mean that pain in a negative sense but I was I was going through pain because I wasn't playing the sport that I loved and my whole life. And I still didn't have that identity um, because I still, you know, identified myself as a, as a footballer, but I just sort of almost like I just sort of crossed it out with a, you know, with a lead pencil and wrote over the top athlete. Now I didn't call myself yeah. a footballer. It was just an athlete, but basically it was the same thing. Um, I convinced myself that. So that's, that's the reason why 
I didn't stop and and uh, and get help um, until yeah. till the end of 2015. And is it the help that saved you? No, it, it went even it went even it went even further south before it uh, got better. It, it got even worse. Um, as I said, like it wasn't just like a three month thing and let's do it. So retired from football 2011 really struggled with my mental health 2013 2014 2015 um curled up in a ball in my back garden just not really feeling like how am I going to do this how am I going to continue with life and at that point I had a new girlfriend who's now my wife um, who's very supportive and I remember sitting on the couch and I just opened up to her now unbeknown to me she knew that I was struggling and my parents all the way in Australia knew that I was struggling you know any any parents listening will probably be able to understand this even when you talk to your kids on the phone or on, on you know we use Skype or any sort of video call you can just see them in the tone of their voice be like yeah we know something's going on but we can't prod them too much because they're going to have to open up so it was a bit like that and my girlfriend at the time was like yeah I know I, I, I know you're hurting and I'm here when you want to talk about it. And it was the best thing I could have heard because it was like, okay, like she knows I'm in pain, but she's not like, what can I do? How can I help you? I want to fix you. It was like, whenever you want to chat, I'm here. And we had a very, we said very few words over a long period of time, just sitting on the couch, staring out the window. And it was exactly what I needed. And I took myself off to therapy and decided to see a, a psychologist. And in hindsight, it was a bit of a, uh, a Band-Aid over, you know, a gushing wound um, for now because I wasn't fully committed. You know, I, I told him what I wanted to tell him. He gave me a few tools to help, but it was almost like I convinced myself just because I was going, it was going to make me better. Um, so then I went off and did the ultimate triathlon, my 2000 kilometer in 12 day adventure from Morocco to Monaco. I completed that. Um, I had a documentary made about it. It's on Amazon called The Ultimate Triathlon. It's even if you have no interest in sports or no interest in triathlon, anything like that, it is a beautifully shot, full feature documentary on how a group of people can achieve something that no one, no one else really thought they could. And if you want to see what human determination truly looks like and what we are all capable of and how we are capable of so much more than we think we are it's definitely a documentary where you where you'll get that so anyway so went out there did that had that made and then i crashed hard after because my whole life was about do, doing the ultimate triathlon 2015 was the ultimate triathlon I planned that from 2012. So every year I was doing these big challenges and I'm like, I'm, I'm preparing for the ultimate triathlon in 2015, the ultimate triathlon in 2015, the ultimate triathlon 2015. Well, 2015 came, I did the triathlon and I finished and I looked in the mirror and I'm like, now what? I hadn't planned my life past 2015, literally. So then I had this massive crash what am I going to do with my life? What am I doing? What's next? I'm so lost. And I crashed hard from a mental perspective. And then after a couple of months, 
I tried to train physically and my body shut down. And when I mean shut down, I mean headaches every, every day, waking up for six hours, um, sleeping 14, 15 hours a day because I was just completely exhausted. I went to see different specialists and my endocrine system was shutting down. So my human growth hormone was basically zero, which is a precursor to testosterone. All my hormones were completely out of balance. Some weren't even secreting. Some were secreting way too high. My nervous system was fried. I had to see a neurologist because of these headaches and other things. I had to take different medications and have different scans on a regular basis over like six months to, to make sure nothing was going wrong. And I was like falling asleep just in the middle of the day, all day. And this went on for about 12 months. I did no physical exercise for 12 months. So I went from doing a 2000 kilometer in 12 day triathlon to having a couple of months to recover, to try and train again. And then my body just went, nut. that's it, pulled the plug. So here's the upswing of my story. It's a long one, I know. But here's the upswing. The end of 2016 was when I started to, for the first time in a long time, felt like myself from a physical and a mental perspective because I'd stopped. I hadn't done any endurance sports. I'd done a lot of self-work. I went back to a psychologist and I was there 100% all in. I started to open up about my mental health, talking about my journey, talking about what I'd been through. My keynote talks wasn't just about sports performance anymore. I intertwined mental health, sports performance, and my own personal journey and what mental health can look like. And I normally would do this by someone running through the desert, running down Mount Everest and doing you know big, crazy triathlons. And I was like, this person struggled with what we just talked about. This is what mental health can look like. So I started to speak up about this and it was only then when I started to see my new purpose in life, when I started to understand who I was and who I was, was not what I do. So I spent these 18 months over 2016, 2017 to really understand who is Luke, where is Luke trying to go in the future? And at the same time is grieve football. I spent some time to say, hey, like I'm not a footballer anymore. This is in 2017. I retired my, and played my last game in 2011. I self-sabotaged my life for six years because I wasn't willing to stop, take a step back and grieve what I was going through. I say this from a lot of years of introspection and help from others to be able to articulate how and what I did over that period of time and how detrimental it was. So in 2017, I started to really open up about what I was going through and really come to terms with, with who I am and help me start building the foundations of the human I am today. And the human that you are today, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> good in comparison or good or yeah, like... so yeah, so I'm I'm a lot more aware of my my mental health and what I'm and when I go through tough times. Um, and this goes back to my sort of definition of yeah, there are times where I do feel depressed. 
but would I say that I'm back going through a depressive episode or, or, or I'm battling with depression? No, because I'm just having a human experience and it sucks. This is, you know, through the pandemic, there were times where it was really tough. But it's like, no, I haven't dropped back into the, the dark hole of depression. Yes, I feel depressed because I can't do what I want to do. And the world's, you know, going crazy for lack of a better phrase and all the rest of it. But I was just having a human experience that at that time was really hard. Now, have I actually struggled with depression since 2017? Yeah. Last summer, it was pretty bad. I was starting to withdraw from society again, stop talking to friends. And my now wife, she sees it pretty quick. And she says, okay, what are we going to do? Like, how, how are we going to move forward? Because I can see that you're not in a good place. You know, and I was talking about, yeah, I'm just going to go and take myself off for a weekend. And she's like, you're not because you just, you're just trying to run away from everything and that's not going to help. So this was me changing my behavior on a daily basis. So for me, I was going through, you know, a bout of depression and, and having a, for lack of a better phrase, depressive episode where it was actually changing how I functioned. Yeah. Not, not just for me, it's just me over the last sort of, 12 months or two years was there were times where I was depressed, but it was just because life just seemed really negative because of so many things, but actually I kept continuing to do what I would do on a daily basis. I just had some thoughts and I just sort of felt in a way that was really hard. And for me, that's just, you know, having a, that's just part of life, you know, those waves that come up and down. So I, I notice when I'm struggling a lot, and I'm open to talk about it now. And, you know, at the end of 2017, 2018, I wrote and published my autobiography. And I, I spoke about everything in that book. Like literally people say, oh, you know, there's a few skeletons in the closet. I don't even have a closet anymore, Sam. Like I, I ripped the skeletons out and I grabbed the closet and I, I threw that out. And I, I shared everything in this book. So that was also really helpful to sort of say, well, it's out there now. I'm going to talk about this and I just share my journey and what I've learned and the tools that I've, that I've created and I've borrowed and have been taught to me and to go full circle to the start of our conversation. I feel that I have an opportunity to make a difference to people's lives by sharing my story in a way that is very candid, very open. And at the same time, acknowledging it's my story but I hope that they can have some sort of uh, impact into other people's lives, whether it's they're struggling or that they can see someone else struggling and to make a difference in uh, with the pain of someone else or, or what they're going through. Yeah. Uh, so I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. You are going to change someone's life. You are going to save people. This conversation um, is, you know, I've been talking about, mental health more recently so much and there's things that I've learned in this conversation that you know I know are going to help others and thank you from the bottom of my heart to for you sharing your story and saving people and keep doing what you're doing um I could talk to you all day long about this uh this is one of the longest podcasts I've done in a long time and it was needed and I um yeah thanks for everything you do and whatever I can do to support you I will you're amazing 
Luke. Uh, thanks for giving me an opportunity to to share my story to a, a new community. And yeah, it's it's one of those things where people who meet me would have no idea. You know, yeah. they, they, they hear what I do and they, you know, maybe they see me on stage when it's not a talk about mental health or they see me, you know, doing a performance mindset talk or a workshop and, you know, there's a place and time to talk about my mental health, but maybe people didn't realize that or, or they hear I've got a book and they start to read it and they're like, I had no idea. Yeah, this, mm. is, this is one of the things that I find, um, I don't even know if I can articulate it. People who knew me during that period of, of my life when it was really dark and they've read my book and they're like, wow, I had no idea you were going through that. And I was like, yeah, I was a pretty good actor, wasn't I? And it really highlights that anyone can struggle with their mental health. Anyone can be in a really, really dark place. And I think these conversations and you opening up your platform to have these conversations is really important to, as I mentioned before, not necessarily give the tools to people to help them overcome what they're going through. If it does, fantastic. But I think it's also an opportunity to highlight to people what it can look like, what people can go through, and just maybe one or two signs that you may see, or even just to know that anyone can really struggle. And that's the highlights of, of my keynote talks, when I, whether it's a corporate or a school or, or some sort of organization is, is to highlight that we all can go through it. And you know what? It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. absolutely. It is. And, you know, just saying to people, and that's when I said, how are you? I, mm. You know, we, we go through life and we say, oh, hey, how are you? Yeah, good. You? Yeah, great good and then we carry on with our conversations we don't really go now hang on a minute how are you like really tell me so i call that that whole conversation in in the uk it's very much like how are you i'm fine how are you i'm fine like insignificant like yeah like it's it's <laughs> no one really actually wants to know how you are well the first the first time i came here people say you're right and i didn't realize <laughs> like in the South, in, in London, I didn't realize that was just another way of saying hello. So people would say to me, you're all right. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too bad. Like, you know, I like had a bit of a tough day, like a bit injured at the moment or, or, you know, a bit tired. I had a late night because X, Y, and Z. How are you? And people looked at me as if they're like, I was crazy. I'm like, well, I don't understand. You asked how I was. And like, no, I just meant to saying hello. I'm like, why don't you just say hello? I was so confused. But that whole, you know, that, that conversation of about you, the person, when you see someone, you're like, are you okay? You're all right. Or how are you? And it's just sort of off the cuff. It's just the you know, British politeness. Let's just say that, get that out of the way, but we don't actually mean anything by it. I, I have this exercise that I, that I give to people when I do workshops, um, whether it's, you know, personal ones or, or corporate ones is being vulnerable with your truth. And I truly believe that being vulnerable with your truth is a superpower that no one can take from you, right? And being vulnerable, most people sort of attach this being vulnerable to a, as, as if something bad has happened, being vulnerable with something that's negative has happened in your life or, or a tough time. But to be able to be vulnerable when times are tough is difficult. So why don't we train that vulnerability muscle when things are good? And how we can do this is when someone asks you, how are you? you be completely vulnerable with how you're feeling. So if you're feeling absolutely fantastic, 
which I, which is a phrase I use a lot. If I feel like that, I, if people say, how are you? I'm like, I feel absolutely fantastic. And they're like, wow, like, okay, what's so good in your life? And I would tell them. And if I feel like that, I would tell them why I feel like that. If I feel great, I'll feel great. If I feel good, I'll say I'm good. If they ask why, then I'll tell them. So it's practicing being vulnerable with your truth when things are going well. You do that more often. You're speaking your truth. You're, be, you're telling people how you feel. When things are going not so great, then it gives you a better chance because you've already strengthened that vulnerability muscle to say, if someone says to you, how are you? And if you're feeling like really average, you might say, I feel really average. And if that person actually cares about you, they will go, whoa, why are you feeling really average? Tell me about that. And you've already practiced your and strengthened your vulnerability muscle, then it's going to give you a chance to actually open up to that person. So that's a vulnerability muscle flexing exercise that I like to give to people. That's great. And I, I'm going to try it a lot. Um, it's, it's hard. It's hard to be vulnerable. And I think that, that you know, these conversations, I hope, will give people the opportunity to be more vulnerable and, um, and share what's going on in their lives. Thank you again. This has been amazing. Um, I'm lucky you are in my network and I will definitely be speaking to you again. And uh, I really, really appreciate your time. Um, I'll tag everything about you. And uh, thank you, Luke. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, Sam. Yeah, take care.